everyone. Welcome back to JCM Prepare the Way. My name is Carol, and I just want to thank you for tuning back into our series on Revelation. We are over halfway there, and we are kicking off chapter 14 today, where we are going to be talking about a lot of different things. The Lamb, a group of 144,000 people, and a series of proclamations that are going to come from six angels. So it's fascinating chapter. And actually from here on out, I mean, every chapter is just chock full of so much. Um, But I do want to say this, we had a suggestion from one of our listeners out of Ohio, and they asked if we would mention the scriptures uh, in the beginning of the episode that we're going to be referencing throughout the episode. So I'm going to start off and do that. I also want to mention that I'm going to be recapping the mark of the beast from chapter 13, the tail end of that. And I also want to mention this, that in the beginning of chapter 15, the next episode, I'm going to uh, tackle the topic of is Revelation, um, what's the sequence of events of Revelation? People ask about that as well. So we're going to talk about that. And that actually comes into play here in this chapter, because there's a couple things mentioned in this chapter that haven't happened yet. Um, And so people are a little confused as to the order of events. So we're going to talk about that next episode. But first of all, let me reference the scriptures that we're going to be talking about today. Of course, Revelation chapter 14. And then I'm going to be mentioning a verse out of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, chapters 20 to 23. I'm going to be talking about chapter uh, Luke chapter 12. Daniel, I'll be making reference of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 43. And I'm going to make mention of Isaiah 63, 3. So if you want to write those down. All right, well, I'm going to open up by reading the chapter. It's going to take a couple minutes um, and then we'll dig in. Then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every tribe, nation, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to him, he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. We closed out chapter 13 by talking about this unholy alliance or this unholy counterfeit trinity that is going to take shape and deceive the whole world. And one of the ways that this unholy alliance takes control is through the markets, through commerce. It's going to impact the livelihood of people. I mean, we certainly saw how this can happen when COVID hit the world globally, how quickly our lives changed. Some countries even forbid people to go into their grocery stores or to even do simple things like meet with loved ones on the holidays. Well, this beast, this false prophet whose job it is to make people worship the Antichrist, he's going to force people to receive a particular mark. Now, no one knows what the mark is. I mentioned that before. And I did mention a few things in the last episode, things that people in society today are throwing out there. And I'd like to revisit those. You know, there's ID chips that people believe will be the mark of the beast. And right now we do see pilot programs being rolled out in different countries, in different cities, and in different corporations where someone can easily get their chip. They can go up to a vending machine, swipe their hand, and out comes their product. Other people believe it'll be some kind of a tattoo, which takes us back to the Jews of Nazi Germany when they had to receive a tattooed number on their arm for the concentration camps. And then there are those who believe that maybe it has something to do with vaccines we've received over the years. I mean, who knows? It could be a whole number of things. And that's the point. At the end of the day, we just don't know what this mark is yet. Could it be getting branded? What if there's a branding that's going to come kind of like how God seals his people with a seal, kind of like a seal going into clay? Well, maybe people are going to be branded somehow. No one knows. And keep in mind, it can be on the hand or on the forehead. Remember, slaves throughout the ages were branded. 
So it's not quite clear yet. But what we can be certain of is that throughout the ages, there have been reflections of such a thing. And we need to pay very close attention to this today. Follow the trends of what's happening. Remember, friends, one of the things Satan does, like we've mentioned before, is to get everybody thinking the same way about a lie. And this will be no different when it comes to taking a particular mark. Because it's going to be something, a choice we have to make on how deeply affected we want our livelihood to be. We are either, we may be deceived. We've got to be careful not to be deceived to think it's for our good or for the good of our family and fall for it as truth when deep down it's a lie. Because at the end of the day, as you're going to see in this chapter of Revelation, Jesus says that anybody who takes this mark, it is going to be in eternal torment. Now, chapter 14 opens up and turns our attention to a group of people who are standing, literally standing, which is in sharp contrast to what we just came out of. People who are going to be surrendered to the beast, the beastly system who have allowed themselves to be entrapped in that system and who are going to be taking the mark of the beast. It's like this complete contrast just happened in the chapters. And these people, they're standing in the throne room of God. And it says, then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. So instead of the cryptic name of the beast, right? They carry the lamb's father's name on their forehead, which is another feature that's picked up in Revelation 22.4. And so this is going to be a group of people that's going to be so in contrast to the world at this time. Instead of arrogance and lies that's going to come from one group, they're going to be known for integrity of speech as well as pure sexual relations. Now, there's little context given to this 144,000. Is it the 144,000 that were on the earth, those marked Jewish men we discussed in chapter 7? Many believe so because they too are sealed on the foreheads. But there are others that say here that it seems to refer to Christians that are found in heaven. The Jews in chapter 7 were made up of 12 tribes, and here it makes no mention of those tribes. And neither of the 144,000 can be equated with the great multitude that came out of uh, the Great Tribulation, right, in chapter 7. So we just don't have enough information. But either way, one thing we do know is that they are special. They are redeemed from the earth, meaning they are set apart. They did not defile themselves with women. Not only that, they were virgins. And they were redeemed from among men, being what they called first fruits to God and to the lamb. You know, as first fruits, I have to imagine they are a picture of the first fruits of a greater harvest that's coming at the end of the age. And I say that because when you study the Old Testament and you learn about first fruit offerings, you come to understand the significance of that. I, I want to make mention of Jesus above all as the first fruits of the resurrection. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 23, I'm going to read this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Firstfruits are a very significant offering to the Lord in the Old Testament and then in the New, of course, with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, when you study your Hebraic roots or you even study the feasts of the Lord, the feasts of the Lord, friends, those are the seven feasts. You got Passover, unleavened bread, feast of first fruit, you got Pentecost, you've got um, Yom Teruah, which is the, the day of trumpets, you have Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, and then you have the feast of tabernacles, which is called Sukkot. When you study those, they're significant. And in the spring feasts in particular, where you have Passover, unleavened bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits actually equates to what we would call Resurrection Sunday or Easter. And sometimes in our Easter services, we miss something very significant that happened. Yes, we know the Lord rose from the dead. But in the Feast, feast of First Fruits, there's something else that took place. And I just want to explain it for just a moment. See, the Feast of first fruits was the feast that was the first fruit of the harvest of the season, which would have been the barley harvest. And what would happen is a farmer would bring two sheaves of the earliest harvest to the high priest. And the high priest on this day would then take those two wave sheaves, or those two sheaves, and he would wave them above his head before God in thankfulness and worship for that early harvest because they had just come out of a whole rainy season, right? Well, what happened with Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, on the Feast of First Fruit, actually? He became the first fruits of an eternal harvest of souls when he was resurrected from the dead. He was the first fruit offering to his Father. And why could he offer himself on that day, on that Resurrection Sunday? Because he is now the true high priest of heaven. So like the earthly high priest who's standing there waving his sheaves of barley before God on that day, Jesus as high priest comes out of the grave offering not only himself being a high priest who can make an offering, but as a first fruit offering. So he's not only offering himself, but he brought his own offering with him because what happened? Graves were open and dead people came to life that day. So Jesus rises from the dead, right? He comes out of the grave. All of his uh, wrappings were sitting there in the tomb. But it says in Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53, And Jesus cried out, cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and came out of the graves after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's what happened on Resurrection Sunday. That's what, that's what the whole Feast of First Fruits is about. Your Easter Sunday, my Easter Sunday that we celebrate is also Jesus becoming that high priest and bringing the offering of the first fruits of an early harvest with him. And so now, can you just imagine this? I'm sorry if I'm losing some of you, but there's just so much to our Hebraic faith that we miss that is quite beautiful and actually very educational. 
So first fruit offerings are significant to God. Did you know that every new moon, God required a first fruit offering made from his people? It's called a Rosh Hodesh. Then the Feast of Pentecost, there's another first fruit offering. It was the first fruit of the wheat harvest. Well, this group, this 144,000 is a first fruit offering of what? A greater harvest that's coming at the end of the age. A harvest that is presently alive during the time of the Antichrist, but who are going to choose to remain pure and undefiled from the Antichrist system. Do you see the picture? It's, it's amazing to me. And God is a God of order, friends. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians, when he's speaking of the first fruits of the resurrection, that each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. So Christ went first then the rest of us come when it's our time to come. Does that make sense? So although no one knows for certain if this is the 144,000 from chapter 7 or a different group, what we do know is that they are very special. Not only are they sexually pure, but in their mouth was found no deceit. So their speech is pure. And not only is their speech pure, but they are pure in all things, which again is a contrast to what's going to be happening in the world at this time. Think about what it said in chapter 12, the beast and those who follow the beast, they are going to not only uh, complete apostasy and abominations, but they're going to speak blasphemy. They're going to blaspheme God. They're going to blaspheme anything of God's. And that includes the people, the believers, the saints of God, the elect of God left on the earth. So this is a very special people, a first fruit offering. And in time when there's such blasphemy and apostasy, they will be pure. And they sing a song in the throne of heaven that nobody else knows but them. It says they sing it before the throne. They sing it before the four living creatures, before the elders. And no one else can learn the song except that 144,000. It's just a stunning stunning picture. And then the chapter moves on to something else, a procession of angels who are giving messages from God to men. The first angel um, we see or we read about, he's flying in the midst of heaven with what? The everlasting gospel. It's a reminder that the gospel is still available to people at this time to save them from the coming wrath, even in this age of great apostasy. And the gospel, it says here, will be preached everywhere, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people, yet again. Remember, our Lord desires, friends, that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's found in, I think, either First or Second Peter. I mean, how great is our God? And then after that, he calls for the people to fear and worship God. Of course we should. Number one, we should be doing that anyway having this holy fear of the Lord God Almighty, which is sadly lost in many places of the body of Christ. But I mean, who wouldn't want to worship him, who even at this particular time is extending mercy? There's nobody else who was worthy to be feared and worshiped like that. Then a second angel comes, and this one says, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she's made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Well, now this is interesting because this is the first time such a place as Babylon is mentioned in Revelation. 
Babylon, kind of like the exodus out of Egypt, is now all of a sudden brought front and center again in Revelation. It hasn't been a focal point since the Old Testament, right? It's kind of like Exodus. We're going to get to Babylon in chapters 16 and 17, so I'm not going to talk about it right now, but all this angel did was announce that Babylon has fallen. The third angel comes with a strong warning. <clears throat> this one says that, basically warning that the terrible consequences uh, of the terrible consequences of giving into the pressures of the Antichrist system, mainly if anyone takes the mark of the beast and worships the beast. There are dire consequences to anyone who does this, even believers, even friends. And the angel uses language like that of hell, where it's unceasing torment. They will share the fate of the one whom they have surrendered. Friends, that is something to think about. I don't care how uncomfortable we got to get. I don't care if I have to starve to death in skin and bones. If you take the mark, if anybody takes the mark or worships the beast, anybody, it doesn't matter who it is, they share the same fate as the, as the dragon and the two beasts, as the one in whom they are giving their allegiance. Golly, we have to be careful. That's why sharing the gospel also, friends, is so vital right now. You know, I think about, I think about that in hell. You know, a spirit never dies. People are either going to live eternity, eternally with Christ, or they're going to live in eternal torment. Never a break from the torment. That's why it says they'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb, anybody who takes the mark of the beast and worships him will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of angels and the presence of Jesus. I can't even fathom that. And the smoke of their torment is going to ascend forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. This is a grave, 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 grave warning. I'm going to say grave one more time. Grave warning. Look, I don't care who it is, friends. We need to get the gospel out there immediately. Our churches need to talk about this immediately. Christians need to understand this immediately. I'm not sure if we can truly grasp the gravity of the beast, this beastly system. Billions, billions of souls will be lost. Billions. Get your head around that number. Billions. We get to the middle of Revelation with a sobering message for the people of God in verse 12. It says, here is the patience, which is also the same word they use for endurance. Here is the endurance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Friends, if you are going to be faithful to Lord God Almighty, if we are here for such a time as that, we are going to need to, be, to patiently endure. And it's not going to be easy. 
I tell you, we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is. I mean, do we really trust Jesus in Luke 12, right? When he tells us not to worry, do not worry about your life, what, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Are we going to remember that verse from the Gospels if we're here for that particular time at the end of the age? Will our children know that verse from the Gospels and remember it at the end of the age if it's them? Will we remember that he fed his people with manna? Will we remember that he gave them quail? Will we remember that he didn't let their sandals wear out for 40 years? Will we remember these things when we are faced with a decision on whether or not to take the mark of the beast? I mean, this is a serious thing to consider. You see, the gospel is a gospel not just in the first four, chap- four books of our New Testament, it's also the, and it's not just for us right now. It's a gospel that's for the end of the age. That's why Jesus says, do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Remember, it's a little flock. So important is this message that the angel is giving um, in this whole little section that a special beatitude is actually written for it. Now, the Beatitudes are found in Matthew 5, where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right? And Beatitudes are typically twofold. They have a blessing and they have a reward. Well, we have another Beatitude here. We have a blessing. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And the sense is given almost like blessed who die for the Lord. That's what it feels like. But this blessing is twofold also. These people are blessed at this particular time. Those who do not take the mark of the beast or his name or worship him are blessed. And any of them, they are blessed if um, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, meaning they can now rest from travail and struggle and since the record of their loyalty has been kept they can look forward to a reward but the blessing is quantified by from now on so what it means is that from this point forward from the reign of the beast forward all who die who have not taken his mark will be blessed they can just hold on The fourth angel shouts and one like the son of man on the clouds appears. And this is a clear reference to Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. And having on his head a golden crown and in his hand he has a sharp sickle. And the angel is telling him that it is high time for harvest. And whether this is to gather tares for burning or wheat for storing is not immediately clear. But a lot of people who take to the mid-tribulation rapture Um, reference this section of Revelation, that at this point when the reaping occurs is when that reaping is going to come, where the tares are going to be removed and wheat will go into his barn. But it is not immediately clear here because as you're going to see, the reaping is not necessarily burning as the tares are going to be burned. Let me continue. 
a fifth angel appears with a sickle in his hand. And then a sixth angel directs the sickle to grapes, which are to be trampled on the great winepress of God's wrath, which is outside the city. Now, a winepress was a trough in which workers trampled grapes with their bare feet, right? Causing the juice to flow down into the vat. Well, this is a picture of how the wine of God's wrath is produced. Isaiah 63.3 is a great verse to read because there's lots of references to God's either cup of wrath or wine of wrath in scriptures. But you can read Isaiah 63.3 if you want to read a little more on that. But the image that's being done here is that uh, the wine that is coming from God's wrath is going to be produced in how they would do a wine through a wine press. And so this image of the wine press is a, is symbolic of an unbelievable quantity of blood. In other words, an unparalleled slaughter of life of human beings that equates to over 180 square miles. And some people say five meters deep. Whether that's a real number or not, the great bloodshed, many people believe this particular bloodshed points to the anticipation of the battle of Armageddon, a defeat of the human armies where then vultures will clean up the corpses. We haven't gotten there yet. So there's so much in this chapter. And again, that's why we're going to address order in the beginning of the next episode, because some of the things mentioned here haven't happened yet. And so as we close out this chapter, these six angels with these proclamations will soon be followed by seven more angels who act out rather than speak. These angels speak proclamations, but the other angels that we're going to experience soon are going to be the ones that outpour the seven bulls of wrath. Those bulls of wrath that are going to tip out onto the earth and then be accompanied by a song of triumph. Well, thanks for joining me today. I hope this gives you some things to read about, study about, and think about. And um, I just hope that we continue to ponder all of the deep truths found in Revelation and um, that we look at them soberly, um, reverently, and humbly. Never forget, we're all in this together. So stay encouraged. God bless you today.